the Union Gap congregation. Uh, I'm glad to see you too. Amen. I'm going to start in the book of Acts chapter 6, so I'll let you go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 6. Before I go there, I just want to uh, make some comments. How many of you have ever played tennis before? Many of us. How many of you ever played tennis where you actually keep score and try to do that, like some of follow rules and all that? You know, the, uh, tennis is a fun thing. Uh, it's, not, it's not like many other sports in the... Uh, the way that both sides are guaranteed a serve. One will serve first, play that, that set, and then the next side serves, and they play that. A lot of times the, the idea is, well, if I can just have a good enough serve, at least I know I'm going to win some sets, and then maybe if I can break the other opponent's serve once or twice, then I'll win a match. And sometimes we, we call that a, a, a counter, a counter serve. If you're not going first, then you go second. Um, in boxing, there's something called a counter punch. You ever heard of a counter punch? And you wouldn't be much of a boxer if you never got any punches landed and you just absorbed them all, right? So even oftentimes when there's a boxing match, the first... Uh, round maybe or first part of the first round is a little bit of trading a punch and then a counter punch and I'll, I'll let you see what this feels like and I'm going to see what that feels like and so you counter you give one and then you take one um, in law they have witnesses and then sometimes they have what's called a counter witness you know you just when you think you've heard it all and seen it all well here comes a someone with a, a different side, a, a, the opposite view, the opposing witness might share something there. And you see both sides or you see both counters. E e even we have this, um, it's a, a, a wartime uh, uh, method called a counterattack, right? Sometimes you wait to be attacked and because you know that your counterattack is going to totally... Uh, win but you just wait for it to get provoked and you know okay as soon as I'm ready to counter I'm going to counter and then this thing is over the Lord brought back a statement to me uh, that I made many years ago uh, I think I was just teaching a class of some college age young people but this the statement the Lord made it had me make I'd never made it before I really thought of it in these terms but the statement was that Jesus and his disciples did not have a reactionary faith. They weren't waiting to see what today holds to determine what they believe or how they're going to act or what they're going to say. They weren't waiting to see who they might encounter, <clears throat> what kind of conversation gets started, and then, oh, I can react to that, I, you know. You, you, you think oftentimes, if you, especially if you um, are not fully persuaded in your mind, you think, well, if that subject comes up, if the conversation turns towards this topic, then uh, hopefully we'll just kind of see how that goes and I'll try to make it through that conversation or that discussion. And, uh, but if it doesn't get brought up, whew, good, I don't have to worry about what I do or don't know or what I think or don't think, what I believe or don't believe, what I might not be fully persuaded in. That was not the life that Jesus or his disciples lived. Can you imagine <clears throat> if one of his disciples went to the synagogue that day for service and just thought, I hope nobody asks me if I follow Jesus today. I would much rather sit through this synagogue service and hear that man, that preacher, that priest, whatever, say his thing so that I can get back home and privately believe again what 
what I am convinced of. You won't find that kind of faith in the Bible. It's not recorded. You won't see that type of a, uh, a person or a person with that kind of faith anywhere in Scripture. When I was a little kid, they, we, we learned a song that said, Hide it under a bushel. No. Hide it under a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. You know that's Bible? It says, Neither would a man light a candle and put it under a bushel. That's not why we have candles. That's not why we have light. And that's not why we have faith in God. To just privately hold my views and my beliefs to myself and, and, and try to make it through a life, make it through a time where I'm not going to get questioned on this. I'm not going to question myself on this. I'm not going to meet any kind of conflict or confrontation because of my belief. No, Scripture is full of confrontation because of beliefs. And even the, the writings of the Apostle Paul, many times he would write and say, I know you're going through trials because of your beliefs. I know you're being persecuted because of your beliefs. Not, uh, I haven't heard anything from you guys lately. Is everybody doing all right? No, it is. I know you're living in this day and age and you believe the truth that was delivered to you. And so you're living accordingly. Therefore... I assume you're getting persecuted. I assume you are living with challenges. I assume you are facing the things that I have faced and those that have gone with me faced and that our Lord faced. If you're not, why are you reading this letter? They didn't have a reactionary faith to say, depending on what circumstance we find today, we might have to share this or we might not have to. The 60s, the 1960s, was a, an example of counter, like a counter punch or a counter serve or a counter witness the 60s was a counter culture movement culture had already been set by the world at least in our country you know through the 20s 30s 40s 50s this is how we live this is what life is like and then a movement arose that said we don't want to be like that we want to be counter to that. I'm not going to do this. You can't make me do that. I don't want to do, that's not going to be the life that I live. So we saw counter culture. I'm, I'm presenting it to you this way because the question that I feel like the Lord is having me consider is, was the Lord and his disciples counter culture? Was Jesus counterculture? I want you to keep an open mind about that because if you just think, well, yeah, he did everything different than everybody else, so he was counterculture. Mm, not necessarily. He didn't decide, oh, that's the way they do things? Okay, then I think I'll do things this way. The disciples didn't rally together and say, who are we? Different. What are we going to do? All right, let's go. To intentionally be different was not the purpose. To find whatever things they could rebel against was not the calling. To make the priests in the synagogues angry was not their mission. Do you understand that? Jesus didn't come to the earth. God did not robe himself in flesh to walk this earth so that he could rub truth in the faces of everybody that believed a lie. 
That was not his mission. If he had simply wanted to be counterculture, then he could have taken that as a mission. I'm going to get down there, and I'm going to go straight to the synagogues, and I'm going to tell them how wrong they are. Mm -mm. This is what it means to counter in this way. It means to speak or act in opposition to or to counter argue to respond to hostile speech so who's who's the one doing the hostile speech or who's the one giving the initial argument in this context that I'm talking to you about if it's in the synagogue it's the priest it's the the high priest maybe saying his thing and then giving an accusation. Okay, if you were just interested in countering, you would say, okay, when's it my turn to speak? Give me the floor. I'll give you my argument. Do we see that in Scripture? No. We see men led by God to specific places and situations to share the word that God gave them. If you are just good at arguing, you might have a hard time being a Christian. Because you think, I'm loading all my arguments. I'm getting packed and ready because I am ready to argue. The scripture says earnestly defend the faith. So I'm not taking this out of context. But I'm saying if that is your approach to your walk with God, it's not going to be easy for you. Be ready always to give an answer to him that asks of the hope that lies within you. Yes. That is scripture. But be ready always to fire the Acts 2.38 scripture at an unsuspecting target is not scripture. I want to be led by God and share the word in that day, in that moment, in that situation that he would give me to share. I've said this before. I'm not interested in winning arguments about the Bible or anything else, honestly. Jesus and his disciples did not counter. They set the tone and the course. Uh, let me say it this way. God set the tone and the course for their days. Our life, your life and my life, should not be about trading blows with the world or even with the devil. Oh, I win some days and I'll lose, lose some days. I've got my good days and I've got my bad days and sometimes I get the best of the devil and sometimes he gets the best of me. That's just life. No, it's not. That's just you being satisfied with a life of fighting the devil. I'm not satisfied with a life of fighting the devil. I don't think about him that often. I don't wake up thinking, all right, I got to get ready for the fight today. I'm wondering which corner he's going to come out of today to attack me. Whichever one it is, I'm going to be ready. No, I wake up thinking, Lord, you're good, and thank you for this day. And what are we going to do today? It's going to be great, whatever it is. See the difference? God sets the tone and the pace for my life. Acts chapter 6, verse 9 is where I want to start reading here. Verse 8, actually. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. We're going to talk about one of these disciples just a little bit. Stephen. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Verse 9. Then there arose certain of the synagogue. 
Everybody say the synagogue. There arose certain of the synagogue, and I'm not going to list them, but it gives different people there. But at the bottom it says, there arose certain of the synagogue disputing with Stephen. Stephen's out doing wonders, doing miracles, being led of God, doing the things God wants him to do. And then there arose from the synagogue individuals that wanted to dispute with Stephen. It was not God raised up a great disputer, Stephen. You see the difference? God made an awesome arguer named Apostle Stephen, and he could go and destroy anybody with an argument. No. He just went and did the miracles, the wonders, the things that God told him to do, and then the arguments came, the disputing came from those that were in the synagogue. To dispute means to investigate with questions. So they rally together and they say, I got my good list of questions right here for Stephen. You got some too? I got some too. Yeah, let's go. Let's go get him. Let's go catch him. This is not the first time. This is what that faction did commonly. They wanted to bring question. They wanted to trap with question. Verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. He had an answer for every question. He had a response for every accusation. He, had, he, was, he was led by God even in those moments. Verse 11. Then they suborned men. Let me tell you what that means, because I didn't know what it means. To suborn. This word is only mentioned one time in the Greek in the whole Bible, and it has three different meanings. That's a little backwards from the way most, if you do study, what you normally see is you got this word, and it's mentioned all these different times, and you got to try to figure out which one means in this context. No, this one has three different, I almost see them as phases or steps, degrees of their suborning to Stephen. The first thing it does, it means, is to throw or put under. So they, they just, with their words, with their accusations, you're nothing, you don't know this, you think you know that, that wasn't good. They're, they're using their words to put him down. The second means to suggest to the mind, oh, you think you know this, Stephen, you're, you're persuaded this, but hang on, let me help you rein in your thinking a little bit. You know, I, I know what those other guys told you probably was this and that. I'm not, I'm not. Let me just say, watch the conversations that you have in private with other people in the church. Okay? I have. Uh, I don't have any sensors or flashers going off other than it happens. And when these conversations happen behind the scenes, what do you think about that? Did you think this? Can you see if he did that? Would you think she does this? And when that happens, you're suborning. I'm just, I'm just telling you according to the word. That's what it means. Then it means to instruct privately or instigate to bribe. So they take this from their conversation with Stephen to someone that they can find. This says they suborned men. They went and found people to say, have you heard of this guy, Stephen? Do you know what he's doing? Can you believe he's out there saying this and doing that? We ought, don't you think we ought to do something about that? great because I got something for you to do about it. I am instigating into this situation. I'm going to tell you what you should do to bribe someone to secretly perform a misdeed or commit a crime. This is still just the word that what that word means that they did. They went and found people, bribed them to privately, secretly commit a crime. 
And then it means to induce a person to give a false testimony. So it says, Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against... This is, their, this is the script, you understand? They went and found men who would say this. We've heard him speak blasphemy against Moses and God. Can you, mm, can you believe he's doing that? I don't know. I never met the guy. I'm just saying what they told me to say about him. But uh, we won't talk about my price. But I'm saying it. Can you believe it? Oh, doesn't that make you angry? Verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him, him being Stephen, and caught him and brought him to the council. Verse 12, verse 13. And set up false witnesses which said this man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and against the law verse 14 for we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place I heard Stephen say it Jesus said he's going to destroy this holy place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. This was the false accusation brought against Stephen. I want to I, I, I show you something in that little uh, reading. This is what a person under the influence of another spirit will do to a person of truth that they cannot successfully oppose. I can't, I can't win the arguments. We tried. We took him. We, we tried first to dispute with him and argue with him and catch him in his act and prove that he doesn't know what he's saying. We can't do that. So the next step is we're going to falsely accuse him. We're going to bring false accusation against him. Now, what I said there, I believe, is this is what happens when a person under the wrong spirit, another influence, that's, what, that's how they act. Then I have a question for you. So what we see taking place here to get Stephen before the council, is that humanity or is that evil spirit? Which one of those made that happen? What I would tell you is that it's both. Because it's the human allowing the evil, I hate to use this word here, but the evil agenda, the evil plan, the not God plan, to enact and operate through them. That is when the most dangerous stuff happens. I believe this. Not just when some kooky person gets a kooky idea and says, oh, maybe we should make this a law. Okay, well, that doesn't seem right. But you get a kooky person acting the wrong way and then get them influenced under the influence of an evil spirit that would like to promote and push something that is ungodly, that's when things start to get really dangerous. It's when the bad stuff happens to the world. Stephen was fine with all of this, I promise you. He wasn't, he wasn't oh, give me my day in court. I got a good counter testimony for this. I'm ready I'm ready to go before all these people and bring, I'll bring up my witnesses and you bring up your witnesses and we'll make this a great uh, legal trial. Mm -mm. I don't have the time today, but if you go and look at Acts chapter 7, you will see exactly what Stephen said. And it's a long, it's a recount from Abraham to Jesus of truth. And he says, this is all I know and this is all I live by. Matthew 5, verse 11. 
the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 11. If you know this um, passage, people would call this the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. Blessed are you for this, blessed are you for that. I just want you to see one, what Jesus says here. It's kind of like what Stephen just went through. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. To revile. To defame. Blessed are you when men defame you. When they speak against your character wrongly. You're blessed. Really? That doesn't sound like much of a blessing. That sounds like uh, about the worst thing that could happen to me, honestly. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now let me pause and remind you, I'm talking about this idea of culture, counterculture, and where I fit in the middle of this. Because if I'm really worried about culture, I'm going to be really worried about what people say about me. When they speak evil and all manner of evil stuff against me, that's not going to sit well with me because I care about what they say. And if I just want to be counter to it, I'm still going to be listening to all this stuff, writing down my notes and my arguments and say, well, yes, you said this about me, but it's actually this. You said this about me, but it's actually this. I'm countering every single thing that you say about me. Uh-uh. Does the scripture say blessed are you when you successfully win the argument and defend yourself? No, you're blessed the moment they start talking about you. For my sake. Verse 12, rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ooh. Hear me. This is, this is an interesting, and I would say this is a strong way to word this. If nobody's talking bad about you, what's the problem? And uh, hear me. I'm not trying to invite anything. And I'm not trying to incite anything. I'm just saying examine your life, the things you live, the things you project, the things you say, the things you stand for, what you project in your life, and if nobody has anything bad to say about that, go read that verse again. Find out which side you're on. Blessed are you when men revile you. Verse, Matthew chapter 27, verse 39. This is what Jesus went through. Matthew 27 and 39. As he was hanging on the cross, but before his life had left him, they passed by and reviled him, defamed him, said evil about him. Oh, look at that guy up there on the cross. Don't you remember all the stuff that he stood for? Don't you remember the things that he said? Keep reading. I got a few verses right here. They passed by. Oh, it said they were wagging their heads. That's a physical action of reviling. That guy up there, can you believe him? Not, not in any kind of reverent manner, reviling him. Next verse. Saying, thou that destroyest the temple. We're going all the way back to that conversation with Stephen. 
The same accusations. This is what we were worried about, and this is what we had to protect. Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, save yourself. If you've got all this power, all this ability, and you can do all this great stuff, why are you still up there? Okay, hear me. When, when someone that you know personally, and they don't know, they know you maybe are trying to live for God, they know you're trying to live a righteous and just life, when they come to you and say, if you're really a Christian, and if you really believe that God was this, or God thinks that, or God could do this, why isn't it happening? Why aren't you doing it? Why isn't he doing it? This is that attitude. It's the same attitude and it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. The attitude of the unbeliever is, prove it. Prove it. That's the attitude of the unbeliever. The attitude of the believer is not, okay, I'll do it so you believe me. The attitude of the believer is, I don't have to prove it, I already know it. That's where I fit in culture. I don't know what that label is, but that's where I fit. I already know it. I believe it, and I live it. Verse 41, Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that they were speaking truthfully in that moment? No, it says it in the scripture, they were mocking him. Now let me pause for just a moment and say this. Don't let the devil convince you to live in that mindset. Lord, if you'll show me one more thing. Lord, if you'll do this one more time. If you'll forgive me one more time. If you'll heal this one more time. If you'll, take, if you'll do this, Lord, I'll believe you. Like he's never heard that before. Verse 43, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. Don't you think that's about the last thing that the man Jesus Christ needed to hear in that moment? There were the supporters. Where's all the, the cheerleaders? You can do it. Hang in there. You're almost there. Your mission's almost completed. Nowhere to be found. But what there is to be found is the voice of the enemy. The one that would love to see you fail. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. I got, I, I'm almost done. Just a few more verses for you. Philippians 3, verse 10. Remember, go all the way back to Matthew 5 when he said, you're blessed when they say this about you because they said it about the prophets. Then we read there in Matthew, he said, they reviled him, Jesus, himself personally. Philippians 3.10 says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If you want to know the Lord and his sufferings, 
and his death, we just read it. It's not a pretty thing. It's not an easy thing. But Paul said it to the Philippians. I'm just going through this stuff, and every little bit of trial that I go through takes me closer to the fellowship of his sufferings. Where does that fit in your culture? I'm asking honestly, where does that fit in your culture? To say, oh, just a little bit of suffering makes you a little bit more like Jesus. No. Our, our culture is, we need to, okay, I can't do that, sorry. Move on. Philipp, Romans 8, verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I'm tr the Lord is trying to help somebody today because you are so worried about using a negative term like suffering to describe your walk with God that you're worried you're going to talk yourself out of it. I can't get on that road and live that way for God. That's suffering. I'm worried, okay, honest, honest time, honest time. I'm worried I won't make it through that persecution. So what's the alternative? Get off the road completely? Take the easy, easy way now? Second Corinthians. 17. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. There's two words there. Light affliction written by the man that was nearly dead time and time and time again. Whether it was through beatings, whether it was through shipwrecks, whether it was through hunger and starvation, oh, this is just a light affliction. Why could he say that? How would he know that? Because he also knows the glory that is waiting for him. And this is nothing compared to that glory waiting for me, which the Lord's already promised for me. I, 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 I know, somebody's thinking, where's the sunshine and rainbows? Come on, this is a combined service and we just want to be happy. If nobody else is thinking it, you know what I was thinking. Our light affliction. Now, I'm, I don't know if I unpaused from the last pause or not, but I'm going to pause again for a moment. If you know that the Lord has maybe just the tiniest bit of light affliction for you to go through to receive His glory, and wouldn't you think you're probably not the only one that the Lord has designed that way? then wouldn't you think that your brother or your sister might possibly also be designed that way? And if you think that, wouldn't you think that the best thing you could do is help them with their afflictions? Not add a little bit more to it. Not make life a little bit more difficult because of the, the words that you say, either to them or about them. Uh, I don't know where that came from, but it's true. It's my light affliction. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty-two. I'm gonna, I'm gonna unpause. Welcome back to the stream. <laughs> that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Look at the life that you used to live. Look at where that fit fit into the culture that you were living in. 
the old man. Now, put off concerning that conversation, that lifestyle. You are not that anymore. You put that off. It's like me taking off this tie and deciding I'm never going to wear ties again. I put it off. It's the old me. The former conversation, the old man. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Next verse. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that, verse 24, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's your lot in the kingdom. The spot that God created for you, your new man, he created it after righteousness and true holiness. It's like a reserved seat with your name on it. But the only thing is, the old you can't sit in it. This is for the new you. Second Corinthians six seventeen. When when Brother Lewis opened today, I almost thought he was going to preach this message. Second. Corinthians 6, 17. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Don't be like those that feel like they have to either go with culture or have to counter culture. Neither one is where your seat is reserved. Come out from among them and be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. You can stand with me. I'm about to close here. I have one thing I felt the Lord would have me read in closing. We, everybody say us. We are not called to fit in with the rest of the world. We are commanded to come out from among them and be separate unto the Lord. Okay, separate unto the Lord means separate for a purpose and the purpose is not just to be different. You understand? There's a, lot of, there's a lot of differences in the world. There's a lot of separatedness in the world and you see, well, that group over there is different than the, this group over here and this one over here is not like them and I can just tell that that one's that way and this one. There's a lot of separateness in the world but separated unto God defines your separateness. I'm not just trying, oh, elder said I can't fit in with the world. Okay, let me find something weird about myself and just cling to that. Amplify that a little bit and I'll be different. No, that's not what I said. I did say we are not supposed to be in with the world. We're not called to fit in with the world. We are commanded to come out from among them and be separate. Ask yourself this question. Is there anything about me that separates me from this world? I, 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 I want you to sincerely ask yourself that. Take a moment and examine your life. Is there anything about me that separates me from this world? I'm not like this world. They believe this. I believe this. They act like this. I act like this. They say this. I say this. They dress like this. I dress like this. Their families all go together and do that. My family all stays here and does this. 
I'm not like this world. Is there anything about you that separates yourself from the rest of this world? If you cannot answer that, you need the Lord to help you draw some boundaries of distinction. If you don't know, if it's not jumping out at you, I know this is me and I'm different because of this. If you, if you don't know, I'm not here to make anybody feel bad and neither is the Lord. But the issue is, if that's you, you need to ask the Lord to help you draw some boundaries of distinction for your life. Only if you want to obey the Word of God. If you're not interested in obeying the Word of God, you're exempt from this. But the Word of God says separate. Be separate. If you can answer that, you need to be thankful for those things and you need to cling to them. Now more than ever, you need to cling to those things. Holiness does not save me but I'm still clinging to it. My belief in the one true God does not save me, but I'm still clinging to it. Not going out and acting like a heathen on a Friday night does not save me, but I, don't, I still don't plan on doing that anytime soon. Why? Because these are the things that separate me from the world and I want to obey the Word of God. Lord, help us. Why don't you just pray for a moment? Come on, this altar is open. I'm done preaching. I'm going to ask you to respond to the Lord. I feel the Spirit of the Lord moving here, and I know He wants to help each one of us, every single one of us. He has a plan and a design for your life. Come on, why don't you take some time and express that to the Lord. God, I want to know what the plan and design is for my life. God, I want to know the things that you desire for me and for my life. God, I want to know that I'm walking in truth. I want to know that I'm living a life that pleases you, God. I'm not looking at this world around me. I'm not looking at this culture around me, God, to try to find my place or where or how I belong. God, I'm looking unto you. Lord, I'm looking unto you, Jesus. You are the author of my faith, Lord. You're the one that writes it. And what you say goes, Lord. You're the finisher of my faith, Lord. You complete it, O oh God. The things that you establish in my life are the truth. They are the things that I want to live in. They are the things that I want to know. They are my desire, God. In the name of Jesus. Come on, why don't you take some time and pray. Come on, respond to the Lord. Respond to the Lord and what He's saying here today.
why don't you find somebody to pray with it? Come on, I know the Lord wants to help us. He wants to minister through us right now. Find a brother or a sister. Come on. The Lord knows way more than we know, and He knows exactly what is needed. Why don't you let His Spirit pray through you? Why don't you let His Spirit pray through you for somebody else? Yield yourself to the Holy Ghost.
lives within me, so I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within me, my victory, my victory. Your spirit lives within me, so I will walk in your peace. Your spirit lives within me, my victory, my victory. Your spirit. Let the Spirit lives in you. Would you let it flow? Is the Spirit lives in you? Would you let it flow out of you for a little bit? Come on, let the Holy Ghost flow out of you right now. Let the Spirit of God flow out of you. Your Spirit lives within me. My Spirit. us to do one more thing before we go today. I feel the Lord impressed this upon me and I want to give you just a minute if you can. If you've got other members of your household here, if you can get together, if it's possible in this room, then I'm going to give you just a few seconds to find someone if you're not already together, a husband and a wife, uh, siblings, whatever it might be. I want us to get together as much as we can representing our homes, our households. If you're single, this still applies to you and your household, what we're going to do and pray about here. Amen. This is for all of us. I felt the Lord impress upon me the phrase that was mentioned here, the, the phrase boundaries of distinction you know that the Lord designed your house to have spiritual boundaries around it it's got it's already wherever you live especially if you're in Yakima County it's already got physical boundaries around it and you know this is my property whatever happens if it's inside these walls or inside this yard or whatever it is you know this is my property the spiritual is not too different from that for your house if you already have those boundaries then I believe the Lord is wanting to reaffirm them today to us as households 
And if you don't, or if you've been thinking, maybe I need some more, I believe the Lord wants to affirm some boundaries today for you, for your household. I tell you what, it's a lot easier to be separated unto God when those that you live with are also separated unto God. You hear me? It's a lot easier to be separated unto God when you're not trying to fight inside your house too to be separated unto God. So this is what it looks like. The head of household being led and ordained by God says, I think we need to do this or I think we don't need to do this. I feel good about this in our house. I don't feel good about this in our house. If that's not happening, it should. And it will, I believe, with the help of the Lord. But it starts there and it goes from there to the entire household. Maybe you're just a married couple and there's just the two of you. Maybe you're parents and you've got children. Maybe you're single and it's just you. Whatever it is, the Lord has a design for, for you, for your situation. I promise you that He does. And He wants to help. He wants to give discernment. He wants to give direction and instruction that says this house looks like this. This house allows this makes room for this, promotes this, and this house does not allow for this, makes no room for this, and does not allow this. Amen? I'd like you to pray about that for your house. Would you do that, Lord Jesus? God, I pray that there would be boundaries of distinction in my home, God, that there would be that which separates us unto you God that which separates me and my family God as the scripture says to come out from among them and be separate God I need these boundaries in my home let them start with me God let them start with us Lord Jesus let them affect those that live in this house God I pray that the authority of God would rest upon each one of these homes. I pray that the covering of God would rest upon each one of these homes. I pray that the Spirit of God would operate in and through each one of these homes today. I speak it right now in the name of Jesus. I pray your blessing over these homes, God. I pray your leading and your direction over these homes right now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, I feel the fresh anointing of the Lord right now coming upon you as an individual, coming upon you as a family, coming upon you as a couple. I speak it right now in the name of Jesus. I pray the anointing of the Holy Ghost, God. I pray the purity of the Holy Ghost, God. The pure flow of your spirit, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I pray it over the parents, God. I pray it over those trying to make decisions that affect others, Lord. I speak it right now in the name of Jesus. I pray wisdom from God. I pray clarity of mind from God. I pray direction from God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I thank you for it today. 
Hallelujah. Would you thank the Lord for it right now? Thank you, God. I thank you, God, for making us whole. I thank you for making us pure. Thank you for making us holy, God. By your design, Jesus. By your design, I'm thankful for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Thank you all for being here. And I encourage you to greet one another. Find a brother or sister. And again, say, I hope I see you next Sunday.